You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. How's it going? Happy Women's History Month to you, dear one. We sure have a fabulous lineup of ladies to talk about. We're going all over the world this month. We're going to India. We're going to Colombia. We're going to Rome. We're, we're going to go to America, too. But that counts as a, a part of the world, I guess. And today, today we're going to China. To ancient China, to be precise. To talk about. The woman, the myth, the legend, Fa Mulan. I know, my 90s baby heart is screaming with joy because she is my favorite Disney princess. That's not actually a Disney princess, but she is to me. And I'm sure you think so too, because of course you do. You are an intellectual. You know what's up. And just, I'm just putting it out there. It's a public service announcement that I cannot promise you that I won't sing at least once in this episode. You you have been warned, okay? This is your warning. (laughs) Because I'm here for the 90s nostalgia. So, summon up that great stone dragon and let's get down to business to learn about Mulan. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> okay. So now now you know that I I love Mulan. I love Mulan so much, and I know that you love her too. And that's why I need to come clean about something right off the bat. We got we gotta get it, we gotta rip off the band-aid, and it might break your heart like it broke mine. But I can't withhold information from you. You of all people? I think not. So here goes. There is no historical or archaeological evidence to suggest that Mulan was ever a real person. (gasps) I know. I, I know. I know. I know. It's okay to be sad. Let it out. Let it out. I was devastated. I googled, is Mulan real? Until my fingers caught fire and I was close to flying to China myself to search for evidence that she was a real person. But alas, dear one, flights are expensive and I can't read ancient Chinese. But if it weren't for those two very small things, I would have 10,000% gone. So the truth is that the character of Mulan comes from a 6th century poem. It's a teeny tiny little poem about 100 words long and no one knows who the original creator was 
It started off as a folktale from the Northern Wei Dynasty, which was right after the Han Dynasty fell and before the Sui and Tang Dynasties reunified China. It was a northern kingdom, and the people of the Wei Dynasty, called the Toba, used to be nomads, meaning they moved around during the year and didn't stay in one place. The Toba have a very similar culture to Mongolians and even use some of the same words in their language, like Khan, which is the word used for emperor. And it's also used in the Mulan poem that I'm going to read to you here in a little bit. During the Wei Dynasty, there was intense fighting to control the north of China, and it was just like when the Normans were trying to get all up in England and conquer and whatnot. It was that serious, that influential of a part of Chinese history. So battle and war was really on the brain. Blaine was really on the brain, which heavily reflects in this poem. Originally, this poem was an oral history until it was eventually written down in the 6th century. And I'm going to read it to you now. The sound of one sigh after another as Mulan weaves at the doorway. No sound of the loom and shuttle, only that of the girl lamenting. Ask her of whom she thinks. Ask her of whom she longs. There is no one I think of. There was no one I long for. Last night I saw the army notice. The Khan is calling a great draft. A dozen volumes of battle scrolls, each one with my father's name. My father has no grown-up son, and I have no elder brother. I'm willing to buy a horse and saddle to go to battle in my father's place. She buys a fine steed at the East Market a saddle and blanket at the West Market, a bridle at the South Market, and a long whip at the North Market. She takes leave of her parents at dawn to camp beside the Yellow River at dusk. No sound of her parents hailing their girl, just rumbling waters of the Yellow River. She leaves the Yellow River at dawn to reach the Black Mountains by dusk. No sound of her parents hailing their girl, just the cries of barbarian cavalry in the Yan Hills. Ten thousand miles she rode in war, crossing passes and mountains as if on a wing. On the northern air comes the sentry's song. Cold light shines on her coat of steel. The general dead after a hundred battles. The warriors return after ten years. They return to see the Son of Heaven, who sits in the Hall of Brilliance. The rolls of merit spin a dozen times, rewards in the hundreds and thousands. The Khan asks her what she desires. I have no need for the post of a gentleman official. I ask for the swiftest horse to carry me back to my hometown. Her parents, hearing their girl returns, out to the suburbs to welcome her back. Elder sister, hearing her sister's return, adjusts her rouge by the doorway. Little brother, hearing his sister returns, sharpens his knife for pigs and lamb. 
I open my east chamber and I sit on my west chamber bed. I take off my battle cloak and put on my old time clothes. I adjust my wispy hair at the window sill and apply my bisque makeup by the mirror. I step out to see my comrades in arms. They are all surprised and astounded. We traveled twelve years together, yet didn't realize Mulan was a lady? The buck bounds here and there, whilst the doe has narrow eyes. But when two rabbits run side by side, who can tell the female from the male? And that's it, my friend. The entire original story of Mulan. Wait, 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 wait a gosh darn second. TK. Okay, you mean to tell me that there's no Mushu, no Li Chang, no Cricky, no Matchmaker, no singular great stone dragon, no dramatic, when will my reflection show who I am inside? None of that? That is exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, I'm so sorry. The shock of the century, I know, but I promise you, Disney didn't just pull a bunch of stuff out of their magical butts. Nay, nay. Disney, in its infinite quest for perfect and obscure details, took features from other versions of Mulan, which we'll talk about now. That poem that I read to you is the first printed version of the story that is still in existence today. It was written in the 12th century and is known as the Ballad of Mulan. And after that story was printed, hundreds of other variations would come after it. The first one being in the 16th century. A playwright by the name Zhu Wei wrote the heroine Mulan goes to war in her father's place which just rolls off the tongue. It's a very, very explicit title. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it sounds better in its native language. <laughs> this new version dramatized a lot of the original poem and added a bunch of stuff. The different versions of Mulan are really cool because they're kind of like little windows into what was going on during each time period that it was written. And in the 16th century, bookbinding was the way men and women differentiated themselves. And bound feet were a huge part of being a marriageable woman. And just a side note, foot binding is the act of like stopping the growth of feet by like breaking them and like tying them up really tightly to make them really, really super small. I'll, I'll put pictures up on Instagram so that you can see it. Anyways, it was super duper important during this time. <laughs> and this practice found its way into this new version of Mulan's story. Tzu Wei wrote a big long scene about Mulan unbinding her feet, which meant that she was basically taking herself out of the marriage pool. And that was a big deal. He also gives Mulan a last name. Previously, Mulan was pulling a Beyonce and just had a first name. But Tsu Wei decided to add the last name, Hua, 
H-U-A, which comes from the Chinese word for flower. And if you've ever seen Disney's Mulan, which I'm sure that you have, you know that it heavily leans into flower imagery. Also, if you haven't seen Mulan, what are you doing? Stop this episode right now. Go watch it. I'll wait for you. Okay, pause. Pause right now. Okay, welcome back. Isn't it good? It's so good. Anyways, (laughs) quite some time went by before the next iteration of Mulan's story would come out. Finally, in the 17th century, my least favorite version of Mulan's story was published. In this one, she unalives herself rather than live under a foreign ruler, which was a common nationalistic theme of the time. China was working really hard to keep itself together and keep out foreign meddling. Nationalism has been a recurring theme for several versions of Mulan over the years. And she was often used as propaganda. But on a lighter note, Mulan's Disney version story is both a comedy and a serious movie, but it wasn't the first version to try and get chuckles out of the crowd. In 1903, the play Mulan Joins the Army turned Mulan's story into a straight-up comedy about how Mulan took her father's place when her adopted brother Mushu refused his filial duty. Mushu, her adopted brother Mushu. Does, Does that name sound familiar to you? Dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. Dragon, dragon, I don't do that tongue thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that Mushu, that Mushu. <laughs> now, I cannot 100% confirm that the creators of Mulan chose Mushu as the dragon's name because of Mushu, the adopted son who refused to go to war. But there are a lot of Chinese names and not a lot of names in the Mulan plays and poems and stories, okay? But they just so happen to choose this name. This is the name that they chose. That was, it was already used in a Mulan story. It's very suspicious to me, friend. It's very suspicious, okay? And another very suspicious, oh my God, suspicious Goodness me. Another very suspicious Disney coincidence is after World War II ended and China was under communist rule, there was a ton of political tension and a wedge being formed among the Chinese citizens. And in response to this, the film Lady General Hua Mulan was released. The main emphasis of this film was family unity. The story basically goes something like this. One day, Mulan hears that her cousin, Hua Ping, Ping, has decided to take his father's place in battle. Mulan is inspired to do the same, and Ping serves as Mulan's protector throughout the years that they serve together. And, okay, once again, does that name Ping ring a bell, dear one? That is the name Mulan gives herself while she's disguised as a man in the Disney version of Mulan. We're two, we're two for two at this point, friend. You can't sit there and look me in my eyes 
the windows to my soul. We've been together, what, 84 episodes? You're not going to look at me and tell me that Disney didn't know what they were doing, okay? (laughs) I don't think this is a coincidence. I don't. But I digress. So many versions of Mulan's story have been told that she feels like a real person, right? There's statues and memorials dedicated to her all over China. Several cities claim to be her hometown, and her name has become synonymous with powerful women in China. It's almost like people have willed her into being. So we're going to take a real quick break break from our 90s nostalgia Mulan conversation to talk about today's sponsor. So like I have said in our last few episodes, one of the reasons I took such a long break in between season four and five is because I was feeling really run down. As an elementary school teacher by day and a content creator by night, Um, It was a lot. It was a lot for me. And I was getting into a caffeine spiral. I was drinking caffeine because I was tired. And then because I was drinking so much caffeine, I wasn't able to sleep at night. And then I wouldn't get good sleep. And then I'd be tired in the morning and then drink more caffeine. And you, you know how it goes. So One of my goals for this year was to decrease my caffeine intake and help myself get out of this caffeine spiral, which is hard. And I can't just cold turkey all caffeine. I wanted something and needed a little bit of energy to help me out of my coffee rut. I was looking all over the place for something I could use to help me stay energized longer throughout the day without crashing. And that's when I found Magic Mind. I was skeptical at first, but I've been drinking Magic Mind every day for the past, what, three weeks now? And I have noticed a significant change in my energy levels. There is an immediate change when you first start drinking it, and then the benefits just build and build and build as you drink it for longer. I've noticed a change in my energy levels, my focus, and I've been able to get through the day as a teacher and then come home and create wonderful history things for you without needing to have another cup of coffee or an energy drink. One of the things I like most about Magic Mind is the sustainability and the quality of the ingredients. I absolutely love matcha. I love the benefits that matcha has. I love the taste of matcha. If there's matcha flavored anything, I'm getting that thing. And when I was doing my research on Magic Mind, I found out that the matcha that they use is sourced directly from a city in Kyoto, Japan. And I was absolutely excited and absolutely hooked. Matcha just has so many amazing benefits like containing L-theanine, which reduces stress and also contains components called catechins that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it, which basically means that you get the benefits of caffeine without the jitters or the crash. Seeing how well it worked for me, I would really encourage you to try it out as well if you're having trouble getting out of your caffeine spiral or you're looking for a way to lessen your 
coffee intake while still getting energy help. And you know how much I love you being kind to yourself and taking care of yourself. So the Magic Mind team created a super offer for me to share with you. For the next 10 days, you can get up to 56% off of your first subscription and 20% off of your one-time purchase with the code love of history 20 you can use my link in the show notes so scooch cute little booty over to magicmind.com forward slash for the love thank you so much to magic mind for sponsoring this episode so now let's get back down to business mulan business When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Even though Mulan is not a real historical figure, she has inspired generation after generation of baddies all around the world. And to end the episode today, I'm going to tell you about a real life baddie that was inspired by Mulan's story. I'd like to introduce you to Chu Jin. She was a feminist and political author slash poet in the late 1800s during the Qing dynasty. She was an incredible writer and wrote empowering poems about women's strength, courage, beauty, and all-around badassery. One of her poems begins with, Don't tell me women are not the stuff of heroes. Goosebumps. Literally, I have goosebumps. In her childhood and her teenage years, she was an incredible writer, and all of her stories and poems were about confidence and courage and beauty, but unfortunately, her joy and passion turned to self-doubt, heartbreak, and abandonment after being persuaded, heavy, heavy on the air quotes for persuaded, more like told. Anyways, she was told persuaded by her father to marry this dude who was absolutely garbage and treated her like doo-doo. She wrote this about him. That person's behavior is worse than an animal's. He treats me as less than nothing. And when I think of him, my hair bristles with anger. It's absolutely unbearable. For a long time, she was under the shadow of this dumpster fire of a man and lost her dream of becoming a respected poet. But thankfully, in 1903, she moved to Beijing with her husband, that guy, and began reading poetry about Chinese heroines from the past. One of these poems was 
the Ballad of Mulan. She was absolutely inspired by Mulan's story. Her love for poetry and women's rights was rekindled, and she became interested in women's education. She was incredibly outspoken and began to protest and advocate for access to education for all women. She also spoke out against foot binding and started openly talking about overthrowing the freaking Qing dynasty. The whole thing. She was fed up. She went from zero to 60. She wrote... In one of her poems, with all my heart, I beseech and beg to my 200 million female compatriots to assume their responsibilities as citizens. Arise, arise, Chinese women, arise. And I forgot to mention that during this time, she also got a divorce from the human garbage, also known as her husband. So she was free. In 1907, she became the head of. Daotong School in the province of Zhejiang. It was supposed to be a sports school, but <laughs> she <laughs> she turned it into a secret military training school, and she was she started recruiting people to fight against the Qing Dynasty. I know. At school, she could often be seen wearing men's Western clothing and training her students. They were full on creating a secret little military to overthrow the Qing dynasty. But unfortunately, as is the fate of many badass women in history, Chu Jin flew too close to the sun and was arrested after her cousin was captured and tortured for information on Chu Jin and her plans to overthrow the Qing emperor. She was captured and tortured, but refused to give up any plans or answer any of their questions. She stayed silent. And because of this, on July 15, 1907, she was beheaded. Almost immediately, the women of China were in an uproar. And Chu Jin became a national hero who inspired the eventual downfall of the last Chinese dynasty. Her memory lives on in her poetry and essays. It lives on in literature, movies, TV shows, and so much more. Just like her inspiration, Fa Mulan. Oh, goodness gracious, googly moogly. That was a, that was a good one. That was a good one, and we've come to our final thought. And it is so silly. It's a very, very silly final thought, friend. And it's Disney history. And I just really want to tell you that we almost didn't have Mushu, the character, in the Disney version of Mulan. Like, at all. Originally, her sidekick was going to be two little, like, reptile things. But then Disney was like, mm, two's a little bit crowded. And these reptiles, like... They don't do a whole lot. We're not, we're just not feeling it. We're not vibing with these reptiles. And at the same time, Disney was also making an Irish folklore project with a dragon in it. But the project ended up being canceled. So they had this whole dragon character all made up and someone was like, hey, wh why don't we just use this dragon from our folklore project and it would be great. Why let it go to waste? 
But then someone else was like, um, no, it would be too big to hide because all Chinese dragons are big. Obvi. Uh, Mulan is trying not to get caught for being a woman. How is she going to hide a big ass dragon? But uh, that was not Obvi because the animators found out that Chinese dragons come in all, all shapes and sizes. And everyone was like, huzzah. And thus, Mushu was born. Another side note, he was also going to have two heads, but they decided that a talking two-headed dragon was a tiddly bit too much. Well, dear one, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this dive into a 90s childhood nostalgic moment. I hope I didn't crush your dreams too much when I told you that Milan is not real, but she's real in her hearts. She's real in her hearts. And if I didn't break your heart too much and you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with your friend, your other history BFF, your male person, somebody in line at the grocery store, or, you know, leave a rating and or review because that really helps the algorithm gods that be lead other history lovers to For the Love of History. If you want to get your hands on some super cute For the Love of History merch, you can head to the link in the show notes. And please don't forget to click on my affiliate link for the Magic Mind. Even if you don't buy anything, it's totally fine. It just lets them know that you support me and that they should continue to sponsor me, which really helps me create better and more content for you. But once again, none of that is necessary. If you can't do it, you don't want to, that's okay. I'm just happy that you're here. Thank you for spending time with me, and I'm so excited to travel the world with you this month for Women's History Month. (laughs) So before we go, remember to do something kind for yourself. Give yourself a hug. Drink your water. Gosh darn it. Drink it right now. I know that you have at least three drinks within reaching distance. Take a swig of water, friend. Thank you. Okay, I'll see you next week when we talk about an amazing queen from India. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs) Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.